12-12 on the 11th step. And she told us that the book, the 12-12, told us a wonderful meditation to use to try to connect with a higher power. And what prayer is that? The prayer of St. Francis. Yes. So I'm going to read it to you just in case you aren't familiar with it, or maybe if you are, I'm still going to read it. It's on page 99 of the 11th step, and it says, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness, that where there is discord, I may bring harmony, that where there is error, I may bring truth, that where there is doubt, I may bring faith, that where there is despair, I may bring hope, that where there are shadows, I may bring light, that where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to, rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. And it is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. And then it tells us that we can use this prayer to begin meditation, that we don't have to have even worked all the steps yet, that we want to at least try to seek some kind of contact with the power greater than ourselves, we can try to use that prayer. And it says, as we do the meditation, we may now reread this prayer several times very slowly, savoring every word and trying to take in the deep meaning of each phrase and idea. And then it gives us the idea that we can do this and imagine ourselves lying on a sunlit beach. And then, Bill, in his infinite wisdom, adds what happens to our minds. And the next line says, Shucks, says somebody, this is nonsense. It isn't practical. That's so alcoholic. Here we are in the middle of this beautiful meditation. We have the words. We have the, the setting. We're in the middle of the Caribbean, perhaps. And then we doubt it's going to work. Somebody uh, reading the appendix to the spiritual uh, appendix of the back of the big book, it talks about contempt prior to investigation. That we should never, God forbid, we should try something that is told that to us in this program because it just might possibly work, and then we can't, we can't complain anymore. So why would we ever do anything in this program that might actually work? The only reason why I did exactly what my sponsor told me to do was so that I could prove that she was an idiot and she was wrong and that I was going to be different. And the joke was on me because, of course, when I did precisely what the book told me to do, it worked. But it's funny because the same way I can't survive today on the breakfast that I ate yesterday, I have to eat breakfast again today, what worked yesterday, I can't just rest on my laurels today, I have to do it again today. So even when our mind jumps to tell me, oh, this won't work, we know from what it says in the 11th step that that's normal. Our minds are going to tell us it's not going to work. So, here we are. As beginners in meditation, our mind's telling us it's not going to work. We have a perfect meditation to start with. 
And we need to have that connection to God. Why? Because this whole program is about God. Now, as I said a few minutes ago, I had a really hard time with the concept of God. Why is that? Well, I grew up in a, a nice Jewish girl from New York, and I grew up normal, you know, went to Sunday school, and I even went to CCV with my friends. I thought I'd, you know, hang out with them a little, catch my lips. And um, I learned a lot, you know, the Catholics, I love the Catholic religion, it's beautiful, but I gotta tell you, it's kind of a little scary, you know, I learned that uh, in Catholicism you get kind of judged on what you think. And not, not just what you do, and that kind of stayed with me. You know, I, uh, I have a little of that. Ooh, you know, I got sober with a nun, and she absolved me from all the bad thoughts that I had. But it took a long time. And when I got into this program, I had a really hard time with this concept of God for a couple of reasons. First of all, my sponsor told me to get on my knees to pray. And I said, Look, I'm Jewish. Getting on our knees to pray, it's a nice Jewish girls don't do that. You know, it's a nice Catholic thing to do, but I don't think I can do that because it just, it just doesn't look Jewish. <laughs> and I said, tell me, um, would you have gotten on your knees to get any kind of alcohol or outside issue? And I said, well, of course. And she said, then you're going to get on your knees to God. I said, look, I don't believe in God. And she said, I'll tell you what, just... Get on your knees with a power that you don't believe in and see what happens. So every morning I'm going to get on my knees to pray and I preface it by saying, Look, God, I'm on my knees and I'm Jewish. I just want to establish that. And it's not going to work because. But I took the action. Now I want to share with you that uh, flash forward 10 years later, somehow some crazy thing happened and. Uh, I went to rabbinical school, which is a school that you go to become a rabbi, a rabbi today. I went to rabbinical school, and I found out that the word for me comes from the Hebrew root word for blessing. That it is very Jewish to bend your knee when you're blessing God. What the heck did I know? See, I thought I was so smart, you know. 20 years old, saying, oh, no, no, Jews don't get on their knees. But we do bend our knees. And it's part of our prayer and part of our liturgy. Where did I think the Catholics got it from? They just bend a little more than we did, you know? And, but my point is that I've been praying on my knees for years. And it took me years to believe in God. But I started to do the posturing of belief in God, even when I didn't believe in God. Now, why is this important to believe in God? Because we can call God anything that we want. We don't have to believe the God that was given to us by our families or forced down our throat by our churches. It doesn't have to be a God of a specific religion. You get to come up with your own concept of God and God can be G-O-D, group of drunks. In the early days, when I didn't believe in God as a deity, I used to go to AA meetings and say, I'm having a problem. And people would say, that's nice, honey. Hold on to that until after the meeting. We'll take you out for coffee and discuss that. And they would take me out for coffee, and they would give me some direction. 
And I would follow the G-O-D, the group of drugs that would give me G-O-D, good orderly direction. I'd follow their directions, and guess what? Good things would happen. And somebody once described it to me that if you took a pencil, think of the little number two pencils that we had to sharpen, remember those pencils, you know? You can break one pencil pretty easily. But if you take a box of pencils, and there's 12 pencils in a box, and you put them all together and you try to break them, you cannot break them no matter how hard you try. Why not? Because it is physically impossible because they break against each other and a human being cannot break 12 pencils at one time. And that tells me that the box of pencils is bigger than the one and the group of drunks is bigger than the individual. That something happens when we gather together and we share our experience, strength, and hope. And it is indescribable what happens at that moment. And so, I learned to trust the power of the group. But we have to be very careful. Why? Because I used to have a problem and say, I trust the power of the group. And I would go and I would take a poll of all the people that I wanted to weigh in on whatever it was that was troubling me. And I would go to 10 people, and I'd get nine answers one way, and one answer the way I wanted. And I'd say, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. Very dangerous. I did that a lot in my first year of sobriety, you know, that first year that I made a lot of mistakes and a lot of amends. Because what the book tells us is that it is not always a good idea to go around to different people to ask what they would have you do. The book is very specific to tell us that when we take inventory, after we do the work of asking ourselves why we're troubled, we're supposed to sit quietly. We relax and we wait for an intuitive thought or direction. And then, after we receive that intuitive thought or direction, we go and check out the intuitive thought or direction with somebody else. So you might ask, how does an atheist agnostic heathen-like person become a rabbi? I was in Nashville, Tennessee. I was on my knees scrubbing my bathtub. And I got this idea that I should become a rabbi. And I thought, you know, I'm using Clorox, maybe it's the fumes. <laughs> but at that moment, when I received this, become a rabbi, I went and I called my sponsor, because that's actually a call your sponsor moment. And I called her up and she said, well, let's see, uh, I don't have any experience to share with you, but you're Jewish, so that's one hoop that you've jumped through. And she said, you know, I would think this is like any school, medical school. Why don't you call the school and find out what you have to do and what the requirements would be? And at no time during this process of the unknown did I say, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to figure this out. You know, there's no, there's no chapter in the book into thinking. Nowhere does it say we sit and figure it out. And so I had to take the action, and from the action came more information, 
which I would bring back to my sponsor. And if I was faced with indecision, my sponsor would say, you have to sit quietly and pray about it. And that brings us back to the 11th step. So I want to talk a little bit more about this speaking through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. And please understand that I, I don't want to prejudice people with this concept of God. I know that uh, I'm, a good, I'm a New Yorker, and in New York, there's not a lot of talk of God in the rooms, but that's why I left. I got sober in New York. Because people don't want to offend people with this concept of God. But this program is all about God. It's just that you get to define what that is. But I want to talk about this concept of God as whatever it is that's bigger than us that's not us. So we seek through prayer and meditation to improve this conscious contact with something that's not us. And we pray only for knowledge of God's will. And after we have that knowledge, we need the power to carry that out. And it is through the process of the 11th step that we receive that power. That the power flows in, and we hope that we are directly in the right way. But here's the good news. Even when we mess up, or what we think is messing up, we're helping somebody somewhere. So, I've heard it said, my sponsor will tell me that on the days where I think I'm not doing such a good job, as a mom, as a rabbi, as a good AA, driving through traffic and having a hard time, so my feet are flying all around. My sponsor says that God is the ultimate recycler. All parts of us, good and bad, are useful. And that's why in seven step, when we talk about God, I want you to have all of me, good and bad. The thing is that I don't get to judge what's good and what's bad. Because that's my problem, is my perception of what's good and what's bad. I had a sponsee who was extremely rigid, extremely rigid. And this was part of what uh, was wonderful about her, was she was extremely rigid. But years later, I hired her as my proofreader because she was so rigid that she would never let a comma, a period, a dangling participle pass her by because she was terrific at catching all the mistakes. So I don't give a sermon, I don't write a bulletin article without her magic rigid pen. And so understand that her rigidity, which got in the way of her living her life, makes for her a wonderful livelihood because... God puts to use everything that seems like it's so bad, but it is channeled to be good in some way. So I want to talk a little bit more about this connection to God. How do we get to meditation? Meditation, as Bill wrote it in 1939, is a little different than the concept of meditation that we have today. You know, it's talked about that in the 60s, the concept of meditation changed because we had more of a influx, if you will, of Eastern meditative techniques. But in its earliest form, if we study what Bill was writing about, when we think about the 24 hours ahead of us during the day, we meditate our actions for the day. 
So what we can do is it tells us in the 10th step that if we are doing our inventory and we are working the 10th step, that we can think because our thought plane will be on a totally different level. Because by now, 10th step, second step promise comes true, sanity has returned. And it's a daily thing. But please understand that I, for myself, do not make a big decision without checking it out with somebody. I can think about my day, and I can plan my day, but I can't plan the outcome of the day. So I hope for the best, but then I go and I live my life. And I've heard it talked about as if one charts a course on a sea. You could be in Fort Lauderdale and leave the port of Fort Lauderdale and chart a course for the Bahamas. But every day the conditions of the oceans are going to be different. The winds are going to come from the west one day and the north another. And your ship is going to get out of course, off course. And by doing step 11, seeking prayer meditation, to improve our conscious contact, it's like writing the course of the ship. And then, of course, we're going to meet people throughout the day and we're going to meet circumstances that are going to throw us off course. But our job is to do the work of steps 10 and 11 to write the ship so that we stay on course and we don't get blown off and end up in some other, some South African area or wherever, South America. Somewhere close. You and I. I'm telling you. <laughs> when I heard you talk, I'm like, my sister. <laughs> okay. So that's the good news, is we can go through life not worried that we're going to make a mistake, because we have a design for living that gives us the opportunity to right any wrong pretty quickly that we might be going through at the time. And that we don't have to use years of carnage and wreckage behind us and wait in order to write our course. But we have to have the discipline to do the seeking through prayer and meditation after we do our inventory in step 10. So I want to talk a little bit uh, about my experience with steps 10 and 11. Why it's important to take this inventory on a daily basis, besides the metaphor of writing our ship, is it's very easy to say, well, I've done the first nine steps, I'm going to rest on my laurels, and it's sort of that whole idea of we can't stay nourished from the food that we ate days ago. We have to continue to nourish our souls through this prayer, meditation, and inventory process. And step 11 tells us that by making practical use of this discipline, it improves our lives. What are some of the gifts that we get from it? Well, why did I drink in the first place? I was looking for peace of mind. You know, the, the idea of Alcohol, in its old forms, what was alcohol known as back in the olden days? Spirits. I waited tables in Nashville, Tennessee for the first 10 years of my sobriety. And I, was, I remember being 
in early sobriety and I remember somebody giving me the direction, you can't go back to reading tables because you're going to be serving alcohol and that's no good for you. And then somebody, of course, pointed out the big book where it tells us that if we are spiritually fit, we can go anywhere. And my sponsor said to me, you can go and work in that nightclub as long as you've been to a meeting that day and you're in fit spiritual condition and make sure before you go for your shift that you've done your work. And it's so funny because for the first 10 years of my sobriety, I had a desire to drink every day. I was serving the spirit, but I still desired to drink, and I didn't understand why. It wasn't until I was 11 years sober, I'd been out of the bar for about a year, and I thought, wow, the desire to drink has been lifted. It was amazing. <laughs> and actually, becoming a rabbi and being a waitress. You know, they're not that different. You're serving the spirit over here, and I'm serving the spirit over here. It's not that far of a, a leap, i got to tell you. The tips are a little different, but... Um, <laughs> but really, this idea is I drank because I wanted to change the perception of my reality where I was. And what step 11, the gift that it gives us, is that it enables us to meet the conditions that we face every day. And in the 12 and 12, step 11 is filled with all of the gifts of this step. It tells us that, of course, those of us who have come to make regular use of prayer would no more do it without, without prayer than we would refuse air, food, and sunshine. So just as we need the nutrition of our environment, it really does enhance our AA program when we make use of meditation. It says that there is a direct linkage among self-examination and meditation and prayer. Taken separately, these practices can bring much relief and benefit, but when they are logically related and interwoven, the result is an unshakable foundation for life. And so when we build on the foundation of meditation and prayer, coupled with inventory, our lives go on a higher spiritual plane. And I want to talk a little bit about how one can meditate, because I think it gets very confusing for people that one might think that you have to have uh, an area in your house that has pillows on the floor and, uh, you know, maybe an altar to some guru. It doesn't have to be anything like that. When I was very ill, and I was trying to heal my body, somebody gave me a meditation to use before I went to bed that was very helpful to me, it was very meaningful to me. And what I would do is I would lay down, and I would imagine my body, and I would start at my head, and I would think, starting with my brain and moving down, every major organ of my body including the minor ones. So I would take my brain and my sinuses and my tongue and teeth and my throat. But I would do this, and it was just a gratitude meditation, thanking my body for acting the way it was designed to act, which was to heal. And let me tell you, when I stand here before I look pretty healthy, no, I healed. Now, I'm not saying I healed because I meditated, but it took a conscious act of gratitude to take the time before I went to bed to imagine my body and 
to pray that and to just thank my body. You can also do meditation while you're walking, running, biking. You can still pay attention to the road in front of you, because that's an important thing too. But this idea that you have to sit or lie down while you're meditating is not true. You can meditate any time of the day. Meditation also involves the breath. We can use our breath. I mean, what was the first act, according to the Bible, that God did? He breathed life into Adam. And so we can emulate creation by breathing in and just focusing on using our breath. There's all different ways to meditate, and there's no right way and there's no wrong way. It's just a matter of begin to try to meditate. And here's the other myth. The other myth is you have to meditate for hours a day. Frankly, I don't know about you, but I am, uh, I'm not really good at sitting quietly. And I have to start with three minutes. Now, I'm up to 20. I don't want to tell you how long it took me to get up to 20. I think 20 is about my limit. And I want to share with you that when I meditate, stuff comes up. But let me tell you, if I had stayed CCD and stayed Catholic, I'd be, the flames would be licking my feet. I mean, every inappropriate thought that you could imagine came up for me. Let's just say thoughts that are unbecoming a rabbi. But that's okay. Because what is being asked of us is to not judge whatever comes up for us. I've had meditations where rage and anger has come up. I've had grief come up. All that is asking of us is to stay with the feeling and just be with it and let it pass. Sort of like a wave. A wave has a beginning and it has sort of a, a, a crest. And then there's a part that crashes on the beach and then it, it recedes. And, and feelings that come up during meditation are like that as well. And meditation gives us the opportunity to let those feelings come, and then they eventually go. But I know for myself that in early sobriety, when I got uncomfortable, I would go and I'd make a phone call and I'd try to make that feeling go away. And understand that in the 10th step, we watch for uncomfortable emotions, and it tells us precisely what to do when those emotions come up, when selfishness, resentment, fear, anger, jealousy, those come, we ask God to remove it, we call somebody immediately, we make amends if we've done any harm, and then we turn our thoughts to somebody that we can help. But notice that we are turning our thoughts, that we get into the practice of turning our thoughts away from that which is making us uncomfortable to something constructive, like helping someone else. Doesn't mean you have to go call them. I didn't say you have to go call them. Just turn your thoughts on thinking about helping them. If it means calling them, that's fine too. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, why we do this. One of the promises of the 10 step tells us that we cease fighting anyone or anything. We haven't sworn off alcohol. And really, we stop fighting our lives. And we'll have much more energy because we are not squandering the hours that would have otherwise been worthwhile. 
And Bob details the story of this Tibetan farmer who works the land with his son. They're very poor. They live on rented land, they have rented tools, they live in a rented house, and most of what they farm, the crop goes to the Lord, goes to the landlord. But they can keep some of it. And this particular family, the father and son, have something that most families didn't have, they have a horse. And a horse, well, that, that's a big deal to have a horse. But one day this horse ran off. Son had left the gate open, the horse ran off. The townspeople came to the father and said to the father, we're so sorry because your fortune, that which the only thing you owned, your horse, ran off. How awful. And the father said, it's not good, it's not bad, it just is. The townspeople looked at him a little strangely. Well, the next day, the horse comes back with a couple of wild horses that it met out in the wilderness. The townspeople come to the father and they say, this is terrific. Look, you're the richest man in the village now. You have all these horses. Isn't this terrific? And the farmer said, it's not good and it's not bad. It, it just is. They looked at him kind of strangely. They left and the next day, the son was on one of those wild horses and he was trying to tame it and he got thrown from the horse. His, his leg got badly mangled. He was unable to walk. The town people came to the farmer and said, We're so sorry. Your son, who was so robust and healthy and now he's mangled. It's terrible. Of course, the farmer said, It's not terrible. It's not bad. It's not good. It just is. Well, the next day, the Chinese army came through the town and conscripted all the able-bodied men into the army to fight a war that certainly they weren't going to win and they were going to be marching off to their deaths. And so what we learn from the story, and what we learn as alcoholics, is what trips me up is my judgment of a situation. And what I learned through prayer and meditation is to sit with the discomfort and not judge whether something is good or bad, because it just is. And when we take this practice coupled with inventory, it sets us on a course for life where we become purposefully and usefully happy and instruments of God where we get out of the way and we can let God work through us. And let me tell you that in my job as a rabbi, I'm a minister of the Jewish faith, I work best when I disappear. That this life cycle event that I'm performing or whatever it is that I'm doing is not about me. When I was drinking and in early sobriety, it was all about me. But today, when I do my work in this program and get out of the way, it enables God to work through me. And then my life works beautifully. And even when I think I mess up, I go back to the fact that God is using me as God's instrument. And it just is. But when it's in God's world, it's perfect. So my gift to you this evening is breathe in. Take a moment for meditation, and again, start with three minutes, and if three minutes is too long, start with one minute. But I want to tell you that if I spent as much time with my children as I used to spend with God, I'd have really messed up kids. That if I purport to wanting to establish a relationship with God, I have to show up for God. I have to carve out time, even if it means that I sleep less 
or to do something that I love less, I need to make that time to meet with the God who created me and gives me life. And so the gift I give to you today is the gift of take that time to establish the relationship and watch your lives transform and heal and prosper. Thank you.